This episode is brought to you by KG Productions for Krishna Nose. Om Shri Guru Pyo Namaha, Om Shri Ganeshaya Namaha, Om Shri Sarasvataya Namaha, Om Shri Guru Dattatre Namaha, Om Shri Mahalakshmi Namaha, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwaraha, Guru Sakshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Shri Guru Ve Namaha, Shri Guru Charitra Parayam. We'll continue from where we stopped. Today we'll begin with a new chapter and that is Shri Pada, Shri Vallabha's Blessings after this Mahaprastham. That is chapter 10. In this chapter, an account is given of how Shri Pada, Shri Vallabh, even after the withdrawal of his avatar, that is, even after Mahaprasthan continues to manifest and shower his grace on his devotees. An illustration is given how Shri Pada, Shri Vallabh, protected a Brahmin, a Brahmin devotee by bringing him back to life after he was killed by decoys. The same grace continues to be showered even now on whosoever seeks it. Namdarak entreated Siddhamuni to enlighten him further on the Leelas and Mahimas of Shri Pada Shri Vallam, which are said to be occurring even after the withdrawal of his physical form as avatar. Siddhayogi narrated the following anecdote, which is just one among the countless such occurrences. There was one Brahmin called Vallabhesh. He used to earn his livelihood in some small trade. He was an ardent devotee of Shri Pada and used to visit Kuravpur every year for the darshan and worship of the Guru Padukas enshrined there. Once he was planning to take up a new business venture, which was fraught with considerable risk, he took a vow that in case he would succeed in the venture, through Shri Pada's grace, he would feed a thousand Brahmins at Kuravpur, at Kuravpur. To his joy, he succeeded in the venture and earned a handsome profit. In order to fulfill his vow, Vallabhesh set out to Kuravpur, taking along with him quite a sum of money for spending for the proposed feast. Again, what is the story we are going to learn today? It's a very profound story. What does it mean? Again, it means all about establishing one's faith in one's own Guru and the Divine, the Ishta, which you believe in. Here, this anecdote is just an example or a play or a leela, which is to instill the faith in every devotee that with when you have your absolute faith in your Gurudev and whoever is your Ishta, the God, Divine, Almighty, when you seek Him and when you call Him with absolute devotion and faith and that sincerity, He manifests for you. It's not even necessarily to manifest. What I mean is, He still comes in different, different forms to take care of you, to protect you, to always ensure that His grace is flowing on you. That is what these divine beings are. Even though, here what is explained is, even though after Shri Pada left his avatar and took the Mahaprasthan, his grace is always there on his devotees. He is not physical, he is not 
left in his subtle form. His subtle form exists on this planet Earth. But his physical form disappears. They take Mahaprasthana and they just go back. But his divine form is always there with us. It's all ever present. Similarly, like Sai Baba has very beautifully said in his poetry, you know, my bones will speak to you. What does it mean? It's not this physical body that you need to, you know, see constantly. It is the faith in you that my, my bones will definitely confer that grace on you. So after Baba, you know, died, in the, uh, when he, his Samadhi Mantap is there in Shridi, people today go there to worship. Why? Because they believe Baba exists over there. It is only your faith. And I keep repeating this, as is your faith, so are your experiences. So when you seek the divine being with your innermost heartfelt love, devotion, faith, you know, the divine manifest in whatever form. It could be even in a transient or in, uh, um, you know, it could be in a transient being. It could be in an insentient form. Any object, it can come. You know, they can come, they can don a uh, form of a creature, a bird, an animal, anybody, even your worst enemies, they just can appear in them. But you have the grace and the eyes to recognize them when they come. And that's a very important lesson. In fact, last week on Friday when I was again explaining this, one of the most important lessons which we learnt is that you always have to be able to see God in everybody. Why? Simply because the divine being can manifest in any form. And this is one thing which is not understood by the human beings. They think that they have to worship that stone or that form of Baba. An example, Baba, you know, appeared in this, when he was there on, on this world, on this planet Earth, he was like a fakir. Fakir was wearing a kafni. He had an appearance. So everybody believes even today, if they have to find Baba, they are still searching for that form. So I was explaining to someone over the weekend that the Baba can come in any form. See, today I'm a female. Example I gave. Baba can come through this body and speak to you. But do you have the grace to recognize at that moment in time? So that is what we have to seek from the divine beings. Let the grace be on my, you know, bestow the grace upon me so that I am able to recognize you when thou appeareth in any form. That is what you have to seek. God can come in any form. So it is important to see God in everybody. So when we practice seeing God in everybody, when they actually appear, you will be able to recognize by their grace. And most important, why you have to see grace is because only when the divine beings confer their grace upon you, can you recognize them. Not otherwise. So seeking the grace is extremely important. So your prayer should be to the divine being. You, whoever is your ishta. So please pray. Oh Lord, kindly confer your grace upon me. That I, that I should be able to recognize you when you appear. This should be your prayers. You have to pray. Until you don't make that appeal. You don't seek with that absolute sincerity. With ardent faith. And you know with love and devotion. That grace will never come upon you. So you have to keep seeking that grace. Until one day finally that happens. So seek that grace. And you will be able to recognize the divine beings or masters or gods. When they appear. When they manifest in whatever form. So don't get fixated that this is how they have to look. It's not going to happen. So this is one mental block you have to remove from your mind. Because it's your mind which you know forms the 
the mind makes the judgment oh this is who i will accept this is who i will not accept so don't have this biases in your life when you have biases it is very difficult to understand or know god that is why we say lord shri krishna krishna you know is secretive is unknown to anybody nobody can understand him why simply because we have so many conditions god is unconditional only when you have unconditional love can you understand the divine being can you experience him but they are beyond you know any uh, they are indescribable they cannot be comprehend they cannot be comprehend by words you cannot comprehend them you cannot understand them you can just experience when you will your heart will say yes i know i met you i experienced you yes this is who god is so that is all it is it is a very subtle experience there is nothing other than that when the subtle experience happens through this physical body the expressions happen in various forms either you you know tears will flow from your eyes your heart will be overwhelmed you'll choke because you're unable to speak you will horripilate your body on your body you will horripilate so these are some of the expressions that the body will experience at that moment in time otherwise you please know that you cannot experience god and whatever your mind is creating those various images it's only a creation of your mind and that is why my krishna guruji is very beautifully uh, taught whatever you experience either in the dream or in the meditative state see it's very funny um, that we we have a very misconception about an understanding about how meditation should happen meditation doesn't mean you sit in a meditation and you're seeing those images see when you meditate you don't even know that you are meditating and this is one important lesson which is not understood by anybody meditation doesn't mean you know that you are meditating the moment your mind said oh i meditated for half an hour i meditated for one hour and in my meditation i saw this image i saw a white light i saw blue light i saw yellow light and they say i saw this form please understand all those are the creations of your mind alone because when you meditate you shouldn't even be knowing that you meditated that is the beautiful state that is in reality a true meditation what does meditation mean meditation means you are lost in the divine you are in oneness you are in the union with the divine that is yoga union with the divine absolute oneness where you don't have the understanding of your mind body senses there is no play there is no sense perceptions happening there is no judgment happening there is no thoughts coming in your mind you are completely merged in the divine being that is to be in the meditative state and meditative state is also you are just sleepwalking you are working you are doing your job but you are lost in oneness with the divine and in that state you don't understand but that is the meditative state where you are not understanding anything what's going on yet you are performing your duties whatever the task that you are doing you are doing as a you're just doing it it's effortlessly there is no mind involved in the task that is what a meditation means actually so if you sit in a place and you know exactly oh it's 30 minutes it's 40 minutes it's one hour and now i'm coming out you're not meditating please understand you're trying to sit there because you have to practice some day when the meditation has to happen the divine will make it happen it is not in your hands so please remember you have to do your sadhana yes sitting for meditation is a must but don't expect the meditation to happen but whatever you think that you're meditating upon or you're trying to get some images are only the creation of your mind so in that state 
of real meditative state you will not have any idea about your that you are meditating then you understand that you are in that state so that is again beyond descri description you can't describe adequately so this is the truth so be so so practice seeing god in everybody and understand that whatever that you think god has to be like again we i can just take an example hanuman ji how does he appear he has a long tail he has a monkey face of a face that looks like a monkey he he ha he, he has a huge build all that but whose creation is all that it's a creation of someone's you know imagination and from that they created that ima that image to just make you understand how does hanuman ji look like but is that really how hanuman ji looks like of course not so till you don't experience the divine being how can you confirm that that is what it is you cannot so you need to have the proof of the pudding so seek that proof that is extremely important and that is why i keep telling people don't have fixated ideas in today's day and age all these i'm talking about the fake gurus in this world and who have you know given that who have made use of our conditioned mind to you know leverage upon it and try to again establish a wrong belief which is that god appears in a certain form or he looks in a certain way and they themselves don this garbs various costumes they they have they are very nicely uh, come up with a uh, dress code and they dress in certain manner and then you believe oh he is my guru he is my god but please remember the real masters don't appear like that they will appear extremely ordinary absolutely ordinary human being that's how the divine manifest have you seen ramana maharishi he was a fragile being he hardly would speak he would just sit there and he's lost in himself and can you say that he's a great being no people can't understand but only those who has the grace from him will understand him will experience the divinity in him so you need to seek that grace so don't go by your yardstick of kind trying to understand god god cannot be understood by your mind body sense perceptions i am reiterating this again and again so that you can you know let your mind you can tell your mind that god is beyond the sense perceptions beyond the mind and that is why lord shri krishna says if you need to attain the devotion the bhakti to the divine you have to give overcome your mind body senses transcend the three gunas and go beyond the delusions of maya and only then can you experience the divine the real love and devotion for the lord not until then but until then we have to practice we have to do our sadhana so that we get to that state so this is extremely important so please remember next time when you when your mind is throwing such images to understand that it is only the creation of your mind so don't go fall for it don't tell oh somebody told me who's trying to tell you all this your mind is talking to you the divinity doesn't speak like that they only come for that fraction of a second you know how the divine is the, the experience of the divinity is fraction of a second it's only a very momentary it's it just for the few moments that is all it is and you can experience them and then they'll disappear but that moment is so critical you need to have the grace to recognize them in that moment that is the truth and when you understand this then you realize oh my god everything else is false because you can't god god is not going to be there for hours together it's only a momentary glimpse you'll get just the fraction of second is good enough to confer that you know grace and establish that faith in me 
but you need to first get that grace that grace is very important to recognize them so don't go by what your mind is telling you know who is this mind what does this mind tell you you know it it always wants to show you that you are some great person you know god you have met him and many things why because sometimes we feel inadequate we feel somebody is getting some uh, you know we compare ourselves to someone or we are trying to Uh, judge somebody by their own experiences and i keep telling this to everybody you cannot compare yourself to another human being or another devotee or a disciple because god is to each his own it is how you look at it how much you evolve on the path of spirituality why are we doing this guru charitra guru charitra teaches this aspect it is about the faith the most important word is faith as is your faith so are your experiences and if you try to doubt question your mind is talking dime a dozen nonsense talking nonsensical stuff all the time and trying to come doubt and question everything that's all that is what you will get back you know 100 times more more doubts more questions and you will never able to go towards god but when you shut your mind and your mouth with humility and humbleness and surrender to the divine being and with humbly seek their grace when they are pleased then they will confer that grace on you not until you have this egoistic attitude please remember god cannot be experienced with ego arrogance all the other demonic propensities or evil dispositions you can't you need to have virtue you need to have goodness and when you are there the, the divine themselves will you know evaluate whether you are spiritually deserving or not and then confer that grace upon you until they themselves don't confer the grace you cannot experience god come what me so first important aspect in you know getting that grace is humility humbleness give up your ego and arrogance give up your mind give up your doubting nature give up all that and when you do that then the grace will slowly slowly dawn on you and most important have absolute submissiveness when you meet the great master please remember guru sakshat para brahma the para brahma himself you are meeting and you misbehave and you say whatever comes to your mind behave uncouth manner you think the grace is going to come absolutely not how do you seek the grace have you seen here namdarath is with absolute devotion he is seeking the grace with siddhamuni saying please narrate to me then the grace comes it's not so easy to get the grace he was going in search of wanting to meet this gurudev shri narsimha saraswati he wanted to meet him his intense uh, pining it was he, he was tearing apart he, his devotion was highest he was very you know very good human being but you know what did siddhamuni say in the earlier chapter the reason why you are not able to experience is because you are doubting your faith is not absolute you need to have absolute faith so the word here is faith again i am telling you when you have absolute faith unflinching faith the divine will confer the grace so earn that grace first become spiritually deserving deservability lies in your hands i'll tell you how most important it is through effort it is how you conduct yourself in this world it is how you follow some of these teachings of what is to being on the path of spiritual how do you you know how do you look at this world what are your virtues all that 
you know, translates into getting the grace and seeking, asking him always, worshipping him with your sincere, heartfelt, you know, truthfulness, heartfelt love and devotion and truthfulness. It will come to you when the time is right. You will experience the divine at his own time, at the will of the divine, at the God's appointed timing. It's not when you and I want. Yeah, I can go and ask. Yes, I have the right to ask for my God. God is universal. God is to each his own. Everybody can go and seek. Seeking, asking, yes, you can. Getting it or not getting it is not in your hands. That only the Lord Almighty decides. So have that faith and seek right from your bottom of your heart, in the most being. And actually my Krishna Guruji explained a very beautiful lesson. How much is your thirst or desire to know God? Actually desire is the wrong word, but I think that's what I can use. The desire, like how we have insatiable material worldly desires. Similarly, what kind of desire do you have for wanting God in your life? So, um, there was a disciple and his master. The master, uh, the disciple asked his master, how, why is God not coming to me? You know, why can't I see God? Why is that I'm not able to experience God? Can I, can you explain to me, how do I seek him? When will he come? You know, how do I get there? So, you know what the guru does? He calls the disciple. There's a small, there's a river. And he dips, he holds the disciple's head and literally puts his head, you know, uh, into the water. And the disciple struggles to breathe hard. He's trying to break out and, and come up and grasp for that one breath. You know, he's literally drowning. He's screaming. He's, he wants to be, uh, he wants to come out. He's, he, he feels intensely scared that he's going to, he's going to get drowned. And then he asked, then he, he just came out like that. And then he's asking, what are you doing? You're going to kill me or what? And then that is, then the master says, this is what you have to, this is the level that you need to seek God. That you, you, that last breath, you know, of yours, you're fighting to, you know, survive, your survive from that uh, calamity or you're, you're drowning. So you want to survive, fight that out and survive. That is the level or that is the intensity with which you need to seek God. It was an example to explain the, uh, to the disciple what kind of devotion you need, how much you need to find for God, the intensity with which you need to seek him. That is exactly what the Guru demonstrated practically. So with that, I hope you understand how important it is to have the faith and seek for the grace to experience the divinity or the divine beings. In order to fulfill his vow, Vallabesh set out to Kuravpur, taking along with him quite a sum of money for spending for the proposed feast. A group of thieves learnt of his journey and followed him. They told the Brahmin that they also were devotees of Gurunath and visited Kuravpur every year for the darshan and worship of the Padukas. Vallabesh believed them and felt happy that he had good company for the journey. They halted in the forest for rest in the night. The Brahmin felt sorry felt fast asleep. While the Brahmin was asleep, uh, while the Brahmin was sleeping, the thieves got a huge stick and knocked a heavy blow on his on the head of the Brahmin. The Brahmin opened his eyes, reading in great pain, and felt aghast to see his companions trying to kill him. He closed his eyes and prayed to Sri Pada, mentally uttering, 
Digambara, Digambara, Shripada, Vallabha, Digambara. Oh, like the all-expansive sky, like the all-expansive sky. Oh, the omnipresent, Lord Shripada, Shrivallab, as the thieves hit him further, also inflicting knife injuries in his neck, he fell unconscious and died. The thieves seized the bag of money from the Brahmin and started to run away from there. But they were aghast to find a person with matted hair, body smeared with ashes, holding a trident in his hand, looking fiercely at them and blocking their way. The strange sannyasi pierced the thieves with his trident who died instantly. However, one escaped his wrath as he fell at the feet of the sannyasi and pleaded in mortal fright. Oh, divine one, please spare my life. I was actually not in that group but just accompanying them. I pray to you to pardon me. The sannyasi relented and giving vibhuti to him said, apply his vibhuti over the injuries of the Brahmin and keep strict watch for the safety of the body till daybreak. Saying thus, the sannyasi disappeared just as instantaneously as he had appeared. The thief who spared his life, sorry, whose life, the thief who was spared his life did as commanded by the sannyasi. Lo, in the early hours of dawn and as the darkness was melting away, giving way to the light of sunrise, the Brahmin came back to life just as if he was waking up from a sound sleep. There were, there were no marks of injuries even on his head and body. The thief who had survived narrated to the Brahmin all that had happened and begged his pardon. The Brahmin, seeing also the dead bodies of the other thieves, realized that it was none else but Sripada Sri Vallabha Deva who had come to his rescue. With tears of gratitude welling out from his heart, he sang of his glory. The, the thief who had survived completely reformed now, handed over the money back safely to him. The Brahmin safely reached Kuravpur and gave a rich and sumptuous feast to more than 4,000 people and fulfilled his vow in a much bigger way. The Siddha Yogi commented at the end, Sripada Srivallab Deva is ever present and is everywhere, giving succor and protection to whosoever prays and offers him his devotion to him. Thus ends the 10th chapter of Guru Charitra which describes Bhakta Sankata Haranam. Glory to the all, the omnipresent and the ever-responsive Guru Nath. So what does it mean? It's only the faith. Actually, the last comment from Siddha Yogi says that. What does the Guru does? He gives protection to whosoever prays and offers his devotion to him. So what is very important? Bhakti. Guru Bhakti. Anybody who takes refuge unto the lotus feet of their Guru, the Guru's grace is always there on him. No matter what kind of calamity befall, no matter where you are, just taking the name of your Guru does magic. Please remember this, no matter where you are, just calling out to him will, you know, will clear away all your problems. Even when you think everything is tough, I don't know what to do, just seek out, chant his name, call him out. He will be there. He is going to come and magically work out things. Even when you think something is very tough right now, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Surrender it to him. Say, Gurudeva, take care of me. 
everything, you know, I surrendered unto your lotus feet. But your devotion should be the highest. And most important, whosoever prays and offers him their devotion, those are the ones he protects. Not anybody and everybody. Please remember, only those who seek him. When you seek, you get. That is why we say, when you seek, you can find God. But are you seeking? That is the most important thing you have to ask for yourself. We only go to God when we have problems, when we want something. But do you seek God with devotion? Do you just seek Him because you just love Him? There is nothing to ask from Him. Have you ever done that? Ask yourself. When you do that, God will be pleased. He'll say, there's somebody who just comes to me to say, I love you. That is what God likes. He doesn't want anything from you. Please remember this. God is there always to bestow upon his devotees everything that he has. He is very compassionate and he cares about only your well-being. He cares about the well-being of this entire universe and pleases everybody. He only gives. He doesn't take anything. What can he take from the, you know, what like Ramakrishna Paramahamsa Ji said, you know, what can you give the gardener whose garden is it? who owns this entire garden. You're only plucking a flower from his own garden and then offering to him. So what is yours then? There's nothing is ours. The one thing which you can offer to him, which is yours, is that love and devotion. But please remember, it's not a transactional love or a material worldly love or devotion. That devotion also comes, it opens up only with the divine's grace. So what do you own? You own nothing. You come with nothing, you go back with nothing. But we... Human beings get so egoistic when we have this attachment to the body. We think, oh, this is mine, that is mine, I own, this is my wealth. In fact, you have to go listen to my Krishna Guruji's Uddhav Gita Satsang. The last two days, in that he says how to live, how you need to give to this world. You don't own anything, nothing is yours, not even this body. This body is given to you on rent. It is given by Mother Nature, Prakriti. She gives you this body. You have taken it for rent. You need to use it. In a, in a very nice manner, in a proper manner. And then you, are, you will be, you will just have to leave it and go back. So people think, oh, this is my wealth, this is mine, my house, my son, my daughter, my wife, my mother, everything. They claim ownership. You own nothing. So what are you trying to claim ownership towards to? All that you can own, there's nothing, again, like I said, even the devotion you can't own because it is not yours. At the end of the day, please remember, like Lord Shri Krishna says, that divine devotion can only come to you with the divine Lord Almighty's grace, not otherwise. Even that devotion is not yours. The love you say, I love you. Can you ever experience that love? Do you, do you pine for the divine? No, it's like a very transaction. God, I love you. Why? Because I want something from you. See, it's very selfish. It's motivated. That is why we say the love for the divine should be unconditional, unflinching faith. Absolute surrender, rather complete surrender, 100% surrender. It is not 99.99%. So you have to surrender. Then exclusive devotion. What does exclusive devotion mean? That you cannot have your wife, mother, father, brother, everybody in your life and then say, God, I love you too. I have devotion. No, there's no single point of devotion because your devotion is already scattered. You have too many things going on in your life. You're attached to your job, you're attached to your parents, family, you name it. Everything else you're attached to. But where is that one attachment which you should have which is towards God? No. And everything else you have to be detached with. That is what is missing today in our life. So how do you attain that? You have to strive hard. You have to practice. It's not going to come easy, but it's self-effort. And most important lesson in Uddhav Gita, which my Krishna Guruji was explaining about what Lord Sri Krishna was imparting to Uddhava is this. That you have to redeem yourself through self-effort. 
you have to you know take charge of your own life empower yourself god is not going to give anything on platter so how do you overcome udavas lord shri krishna you know even i get upset when people insult me say bad things about me so lord shri krishna was telling only the devotees of the god will be able to have the equanimity of mind through faith not anybody else once who only go recognize the lord the almighty lord lord shri krishna and only with the divine grace when lux shines upon him with the grace of the divine then he will be able to understand that with absolute faith and conviction and get that equanimity of mind and he they, he will then not sway between the pairs of opposites today somebody says something to us we get so lost in that we, we it impacts us very badly we are we are dwelling in that oh look at that person that person said like this to me my boss said like this to me my mother saying something my father oh my god huh? sometimes i'm like oh god why is this can you just stop it it's it's like that you feel like enough is enough why are we so hung up about what people say don't say how should it matter and you know what the spirituality teaches spirituality teaches about how do you have equanimity of mind and how how do you forbear forbearance what does forbearance mean forbearance means that no matter what the world says it should not impact you you need to have a buffalo skin thick skin you know this just care you can at least bother why because people are talking through their gutter mind and what is coming from their own gutter mind how should it make a difference to you can anybody change who you are you are the divine being how if somebody is judging you that is their yardstick of uh, the yardstick they are using is of their gutter mind why should it bother you you need to have the conviction within yourself that is why the great sages and the saints or even the divine lord almighty does not even bother they just they don't care anything to what others say and that's a very beautiful lesson lord buddha and his disciple both of them walking in a forest they both of them walking and suddenly a man comes to buddha and he starts insulting and abusing buddha endlessly for 10 minutes and buddha never uttered a single word but his disciple standing next to him is getting angry and finally so buddha asked this man have you finished he said yes and then buddha says thank you and he walks ahead and then what happens this disciple gets very angry and he asks lord buddha master how can you listen to all that nonsense stuff that he said about you and he was abusing you insulting you calling you all calling you names he's talking about he's saying all bad things about you so buddha said buddha says to his disciple did you listen when you say i did not listen <laughs> so what is that mean that you don't have to listen to the external worldly noise that is called noise that noise is what you have to reduce in your world you have to shut down that is why we say you have your senses have to be drawn inwards and not outwards how should it matter what anybody says can anybody change who you are you are who you are nobody's judgment should define you please remember it is not somebody's judgment that defines you it is you define who you are truly your own yourself there is nobody who can define you in this world this is what we don't understand and this is what we fail to recognize and that is why we get we keep sway you know swaying like a pendulum once some so somebody praises us we become elated oh mighty pleased and somebody says bad things about it we are finish mark your down 
oh i am bad i am worst you know inflated and deflated ego endlessly comes in so what is the one most important thing we have to overcome it's called ego and with ego you cannot have faith you cannot surrender you cannot have unconditional love and there is the exclusive devotion so all the four criteria to attaining the lord goes out of window straight and then you you cannot become dispassionate you cannot have detachment why because you are showing passion because somebody is saying something to you detachment there is detachment you are attached to everything that they are saying which means your mind is dwelling on what they have said and discrimination you are not even discriminating that that is all unreal what is what you are facing only the truth is god alone so that itself is not there so all this criteria to attain god has gone out of the window so please wake up and don't get carried away by what you see and experience in the material world do you understand so with that we still have 25 minutes let us begin with the new chapter birth of shri narsimha saraswati chapter 11 this chapter describes the advent of shri narsimha saraswati he was born as a son to amba in karanjapuri as per the promise made to her in her, in her previous life by shri pala shri vallabh in at birth he could chant the omkar he was otherwise dumb till his upanayana was performed after upanayana he bursts into the recital of vedic mantras and begins to glow with knowledge and wisdom in an earlier chapter it has been said how shri pada shri vallabh bless the destitute woman ampika advising her to observe shani pradosha vrata and worship maheshwara ampika had prayed to him that at least in her next birth she should have a son like him shri pada shri vallabh told her that her desire would be fulfilled if she faithfully observed shani pradosha vrata and win the grace of maheshwara siddha yogi narrated to narsimha saraswati what what happened to amba ambika in her next birth as per shri vallabh's advice ambika strictly observed the vrata till her death in her next birth ambika was born in a brahmin family in karan karanjan nagar karanja nagar a town near akola in the former state of berar she was named by the parents as amba bhavani madhav who was a very pious and deeply devoted to lord shiva both of them sorry when she came of age she was married to a young man named madhav who was very pious and deeply devoted to lord shiva both of them used to observe shani pradosha vrata regularly a few years after the marriage a boy was born to amba in ad 1458 during her pregnancy she was having divine visions and experiences her mind was always dwelling on holy ideas and auspicious thoughts there was a divine luster spreading over her body and also radiating forth from her face and on one auspicious day a son was born to her strangely instead of the normal crying pranavanada the chant of omkara was emanating from the mouth of the infant see this is what the great beings are they are not ordinary when they when they are born they they, I, they manifest they are always a divine the, the power of the divine is resplendent you can see it and most important when shri pada conferred the grace 
that she, he will be born in the next birth. Please remember, all this is programmed. It's all a leela. You are performing a play to again manifest and to do their uh, to establish dharma, to establish faith, and to guide the spiritual aspirants, the disciples and devotees on this path of spirituality. The wise men of the village said that astrologically the boy was going to be a Mahapurusha and a great saviour of the world. He had all the auspicious insignia of God himself. On the tenth day, the boy was named Narahari. His eyes bespoke of omniscience and his face seemed to reflect all the wisdom to the worlds. The infant was an attraction for all the people of the town. Narahari's mother did not see to have sufficient breast milk to nurse the child. She expressed this to her husband and suggested that he should purchase a cow to provide milk for the child. The child seemed to have heard it and touched with his tiny hands the nipples of the breast of the mother. Lo, the breasts were full of milk. The infant was manifesting many divine miracles. It's similarly, right, if you, if you have read the life story of Lord Sri Krishna as a Baal Gopal, he was so mischievous. What all feats did he perform? It is unimaginable. And one time when Yashoda Maya tied him, you know, saying that he, he stole the makhan, that is butter, she just tied him, you know, she, he was being very mischievous and then said, open your mouth, I want to see. And then he's, he, when he opens the, sorry, this was when he says, oh yeah, when, sorry, I'm, I'm mixing two stories. When he was eating mud and Eshoda Maya catches hold of him and says, open your mouth, are you eating mud? And then Lord Shri Krishna says, no, I am not. And so she says, you are lying. Open your mouth again. And when he opens his mouth, she can see the entire Brahmand inside his mouth and she just gets dizzy. But so like this, he creates, he performs many feats. He, he, he performs many miracles. It's not that he, because he wants to show who he is, but that is who the Lord is. So they are manifest for a purpose. Everything is a Leela. It is talking about how we also have all this divine you know, qualities, the power rests within us, but we have to unravel. We should not get attached to this human body and become an ordinary human being. So to become divine, you have to put extraordinary effort because divinity doesn't come so easily. That extraordinary effort is what is extremely important. And in this case also, Narsimha Saraswati was very beautifully performing those miracles to tell his mother that, look, I am who I am. I know you have a great divine being you have given birth to. But sometimes the parents don't understand this. And here you will learn in the story how even, even when the great uh, divine being manifests in, in, a, in a particular family, though they have all the understanding, but that maya covers them. The mother saying that I own this son. He is my son. I have given birth. The, the most important lesson here is nobody can own or possess a divine being. When the divine manifests your home, you need to understand you are blessed. Your, your life is purified to eternity. That is all you need to have. Not brood or rule. Oh, I don't, you know, my son is leaving and going. Similarly, if you take any life story of all the sages and the saints, the, the foundation of the truth is the same. There is nothing else beyond this. Whether you take Adi Shankaracharya, or any other saint, 
They all go through this. So let us learn what happens. The infant was manifesting many divine miracles. Nevertheless, the child seemed to be dumb. Except the pradavanada that emanated from his lips at the time of the birth, the child never uttered any sound. The parents were afraid and were worried that the child would be dumb forever. The mother used to weep, saying, Are we not destined to enjoy the prattle of the child? The child used to, however, make little gestures which seemed to indicate that after his threat ceremony, he would be quite normal in speech. Yet the parents were not relieved of their anxiety. To assure and comfort them, Narahari once took hold of an iron piece lying in the house and through his mere touch changed it into gold. When Narahari was seven years old, his threat ceremony was performed and to the wonder of all, the miracle of miracles happened. All the assembled Brahmins were amazed to see the dumb Narahari chanting Vedic mantras. The joy of the parents knew no bounds and they shed profuse tears of joy. The mother asked Narahari to beg arms. According to the tradition of the threat ceremony, Narahari said, Mother, can I now take it that I have your permission to take to sannyasa, which I very much desire. You ask me to beg arms. That implies you have sanctioned my heart's desire to take to an ascetic's life. Now comes the real problem. <laughs> the mother is thinking that he's just performing that, uh, you know, part of the ritual. After when you have the threat ceremony, you perform this ritual where you have to go and ask for arms. But here Narahari is doing it in real. But the mother is not understanding and now she's going to be in for a big shock. The mother was aghast at these words of Narahari. What she only meant was that he should ask for the bhiksha of the vatu from the mother as mere formality as per the tradition of the threat ceremony. She broke down into tears and pleaded as to how he could think of forsaking her and the home and taking to an ascetic life. See, this is what happens. Every time, in any story of any great divine being, this is exactly what happens. Even they have to go through to, you know, get detached from their material worldly life. And one thing that binds them is the, the body who they are connected with. Parents, if they are married, wife, the children, everybody around them. They pull them down, they call them names, they, they say a lot of things and they cannot bear when they say, no, now I have to leave. This is what is my divine. Nobody can accept it. They are not ready to accept. But whether anybody likes it or not, you cannot bind the divine beings. They are only, they are only fulfilling that desire of yours by, you know, taking birth or manifesting in your world, in, through someone in your family. Why? Because it's a promise that they have given you. Other than that, they have nothing else. So they are not connected with the physical bodies of anybody. Wherever they are born or you know who, where they manifest, they are not connected. The same thing is also very beautifully explained in Srimad Bhagavatam. How Lord Sri Krishna says, because he gives from, he makes promises. He wants to fulfill somebody's desire. That is why he comes there and manifests or he's being born there. Besides that, he has no connection otherwise because everybody is part of Vasudev Kutumbam and that Vasudev is him. So nobody is out of that. So you cannot own the Vasudev. You cannot own Lord Shri Krishna. No matter how much you try to own, you cannot own him. The one thing that you can bind him with is this love. 
you, he's ever waiting to run to his devotees. But again, there's no bondage there. When you say binding, it's not the way you think, oh, you can make him a slave and make him be with you. No, 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 no. Binding with your love is, you, you know, you just know he's there for you all the time. No matter what happens, he's always taking care of you. He's there. He's one being who is your best friend, who's, who's always there. You can go talk to him. You can say things to him. He's always there for you. That is what you'll understand. But you don't need to own him. See, we all think we have to own the divine. And this is again a very important thing. What does it mean? You can't own any, you can't own the divine beings. You can't own your guru. You can't own anybody. Yeah, you, you'll feel, oh, he's my guruji. Yes, you'll have the possess, possessiveness. But possessiveness also is a possession. Which means you're trying to possess. You can't possess. Yeah. See, guruji, you, you're just an ardent devotee of your guruji. Guruji is to everybody. It's not just to me. If you read, if as we evolve on in the, as we evolve studying the Guru Parayan, you will understand so many devotees. Every master bestows their grace upon everybody. They don't care whether you're a sinner, whether you're some great being, whether you're a thief, whether you're a liar. It doesn't matter to them. They confer their grace equally upon everyone. Because they are not seeing you as who you are. Because they understand whatever that you're facing is because of your karma. Your prarabdha karma. And what they do, they, they try to help you to pull you out of that muck of your life, which you have created because of your past sins. So they try to give you a chance to rise yourself, to go on the path of dharma, the righteousness. That is what the great masters are here for. They are not here to, you know, trying to prove themselves. And many a time, you know, it's, it's a very funny thing. Uh, people even try to go in the gender bias. Someone asked a very interesting question to my Krishna Guruji. Is uh, Lord Sri Krishna a man? Whether he will use a, what? A men's toilet? What kind of a stupid question is that? God is universal. God doesn't have a gender. Please remember, in this entire universe, he's the only man. Lord Sri Krishna is the only man. He's the Uttama Purusha, the perfect being. And Lord Sri Krishna in Bhagavad Gita has very beautifully explained that I am the supreme divine person in my abode. That is the most important thing we don't understand. And we go into this kind of petty thoughts. Oh, God is a female or a male. There is no female male. God is a formless being. He's supreme divine consciousness. He can manifest in any form. Transient and, uh, sorry, sentient and non-sentient beings. He can come in tangible or intangible form. He can manifest. He can be an animal. He can be a creature. He can be a, a, a woman. He can be a man. Anything. But please understand. It is a principle. It's a tattva. It's, it's that. It's shakti and it's, it's the, the principle. The male and the female principle. It's a principle. There is no physical, physical form the way we think it is. So it's, see, all these stories are only a depiction to understand the truth. You need to go in, inside that stories to unravel the truth. That is why these scriptures, anything that is mentioned here are all codices. Only God can explain who a God is and no human being can ever explain. So if you're going and studying all sorts of uh, nonsensical stuff that is dime a dozen available either on internet and people who have no idea about who God is have gone and written some books or somebody who's giving satsang who has no understanding about the divinity and they themselves are not divine, how can they describe who God is? 
only Lord Shri Krishna can expound on Bhagavad Gita or Uddhav Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam or any Vedas and Shastras because he is the only one who has, who knows the truth because every knowledge is emanated from Lord Shri Krishna. So ask with humility. The knowledge can open up only when you seek with humbleness, when submissively unto the lotus feet of the divine master. Not trying to use your mind to questions in stupid questions which has no sense. Like my Krishna Guruji will say, no tatya in what you are talking. So coming back. So it's very important to understand, you know, how you cannot get attached to any, any masters or anybody. Attachment in the sense you think, oh, I own them. That, that ownership doesn't exist to anybody. No students also own him. They just love him so much. They only serve him with humbleness, with humility, with love and devotion. He has his you know, the close set of people who are going to uh, learn whatever the Guruji has to impart to them. They are going to carry forward his legacy or they have certain purpose cut out by the master himself. There is nobody you can question. Everybody has a role to play and you have to just be the best version of yourself and whatever your Gurudev or the Lord Almighty instructs you to do, you only need to do that much. Don't look into who is doing what. That is none of anybody's concern. Only the Guru knows what is right for everybody. So have this faith. So coming back to this point here. She broke down into tears and pleaded as to how he could think of forsaking her and the home and taking to an ascetic life. He was her only child and the only hope. She pleaded that all should follow the ashrama dharma and should take sannyasa only after going through the householder life. Who is defining all this? Somebody who don't even have a knowledge about Vedas because they just, the Veda itself is the Vedas and Shastras are also misconstrued because the person, whoever has explained has no idea about it. So how can you give your own description about what it means? Then only after going through the householders like Grih, uh, Grih, sorry, Grihastashama and that alone would be proper way. One should not skip one's responsibilities, duties and obligations. This is a very easy way to bind somebody and you know what Ramakrishna Paramahamsa Jay said? You know, please remember, he says, if you have a family which is obstructing you on the path of spirituality, it is, it is not sin. It is actually, you should give up such a family and walk out of it. And you will not commit any sin because they are coming in your way of your spiritual progress. Whether it is your mother or father, you just can disown them and walk out. That's exactly what even Ramakrishna Paramahamsa Ji says. You know, my Guruji teaches, we as this body, we, we, have a, we have our duties to perform. So we have to perform the bodily duties to the families we are associated. Because it's a ring. Ring means we owe to them certain things. So we have to perform the duties, but in a detached manner. Please remember, nobody owns us. When you walk on the path of spiritual, you are not part of anybody. You don't owe anything to anybody and you are not responsible for anyone. Please remember, it is the Almighty Lord who takes care of everybody. That is the truth. When you have been initiated by your Guruji, you become part of your Vasudev family. Your Guru is your mother, father, you know, everything. God, Guru, He is everything. And I have explained again. People in the material world say, Mata, Pita, Guru, Daiva means, oh, parents are God and God comes after parents and Guru comes much later. I am like, oh my God, what kind of stupid explanation is this? What it means is your guru is your parents, your guru is your god. Can you believe how this is misconstrued? 
and today nobody understands this truth and that is why we say the scriptures are polices so go learn from a real divine master not from any ordinary human beings one should not skip one's responsibilities duties and obligations she was inconsolable narahari said mother understand me and see the truth saying thus he placed his right palm on her head as soon as she did this the memory of her previous life was revived she remembered the boon shri pada shri vallabh gave her she understood then it was the divine shri pada shri vallabh who was born to her as her son now as she had prayed to him in her former life she realized it would she realized it would not be possible to hold back the divine being in the confines of her home for long this is the truth param truth but nevertheless she pleaded with him whom she now realized as none else was the illustrious dattatreya to stay in the home for at least a few more years so that's ends the 11th chapter of shri guru charitra describing shri pada shri vallabh's reincarnation and the new incarnations childhood with this glory to the all merciful the omnipresent and the ever responsive gurunath so we will see tomorrow what happens in the next chapter and I think tomorrow is tuesday uh, it is independence day it's a holiday so i will conduct the satsang tomorrow morning from 10 am to 11 am so see you all tomorrow morning i hope you had a very good lesson today and wishing you all a very happy monday so with that and one last line is please don't get attached don't possess anybody let them go just be detached from everyone that itself is a real freedom thank you for joining guru charitra parayan wishing you all a very happy day and a great week ahead om shri om shri mahaganapate namaha om shri gurudev datta om shri sachidananda sadguru sainath maharaj ki jai om namo bhagavate vasudevaya digambara digambara shri pad vallabha digambara om shri krishna gurunath nath shri gurave namaha om devi durgaaya namaha om shri krishna arpanam namastu krishnam vande jagat guru